I decided to keep old technology from 2014, four years later. But I think most of us, uh, when we think about smartphones, we don't think about the, the, the humble history of the phone itself from the times of uh, Alexander Graham Bell, uh, the guy that was awarded the patent, the first phone, um, first, first thing to keep people communicated over stretches of distance. Right, and so that would that would eventually expire. That would eventually expire, and that just opened the market to many other competitors that had their own version of what a phone was. Shift about a hundred years later, uh, 1973, Motorola says, "Okay, cool, we will release the first mobile phone." Right, this thing was like 1.1 kg. It was literally a brick. Uh, I think you could only get about 30 minutes of talk time of it. And then about 10 years later, they decided to release one that would, a phone, mobile phone that would actually be uh, available in the commercial market. So shift a couple of years later, just keeps shifting. Technology is just, it keeps going. Uh, we get the first phone that was coined a smartphone, which is, I think, an Ericsson R380 or something, right? So this had PDA functionalities. First phone that you could actually um, put on your own software. Uh, you could browse send emails, et cetera, et cetera. And then later on, we would have what we know as smartphones. Uh, every manufacturer has a smartphone, right? And so why this whole idea of smartphones? Right? It's because smartphones in and themselves have changed the way we function as people. It has changed communication, right? And so you'll be asking me um, why... Why the whole history on smartphones? This takes us to James, where um, essentially, if we look at smartphones and how they've changed our lives, if we look at phones, they've kept us communicate. Um, they've kept us in the loop. We can communicate better. They have transformed the way in, in which we do life. We can FaceTime. We can answer emails on the run. We can sign documents. We can do almost anything on this little thing, right? And so James would argue the same thing, that uh, if we profess to know God, if we profess to have walked um, the line of faith, if we profess to have walked from darkness into light, that there will be something fundamentally different, something dramatic about who we are, right? And so going from darkness into light, we will not continue to habitually walk and stumble into sin's pitfalls, right? There will be a change in us. And so if we look at transformation in the Christian sense, transformation has children that share the same name, right? And so with that, uh, let's go into, into James, our text for this morning. James 3, um, verse 13 uh, to 18 um, Open your devices, Bibles. Uh, it will be up here. Uh, this is from the ESV. Uh, let's read along. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But, you have, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. Amen? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's approach the Lord in prayer. Um, Lord, we, we thank you for mornings like this. We thank you for, for times that we can gather as a community. Um, we thank you that lots of other people are gathering like this, Lord, but more so that we can gather freely, Lord. May we not waste this time, this opportunity, Lord. Um, maybe this, may this be an opportunity where you get to open our eyes in a new way. May this be an opportunity for people to meet you that have never known you, Lord Jesus. I pray that uh, I may just be a mouthpiece, a vessel for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, Lord. I pray that, Jesus, you are the celebrity in the space, not the music, uh, not the preacher, not the sound, not what we do often before the service, but you are the celebrity. And so, Lord, uh, we lay our hearts before you. Um, transform us inwardly, Lord. It's in your only name we pray. Amen. So, um, who is wise and understanding among you? Right from the bat, uh, one thing that you first have to ask is this it almost feels like we have just started watching a series from season four, and the guy is saying, uh, "You killed my mother, and I'm going to get my revenge on you right It's like right in the middle it's almost starting the bible from from the flood and not from the beginning, and trying to understand why all these people dying right and so with this first part from verse 13, who is understanding and wise among you? We have to understand that this is to be read in conjunction with the previous text. This is from verse 1 to 12, which uh, Bat so wond- wonderfully uh, unpacked last week. You can get that online just to get a little bit of context, right? And so if you are, if you are new here, we are going through a, a series on James. And so to give context from last week, essentially, Jay, uh, essentially Bat... Um, that's short for Bata, Batanye. I think that's it. Um, he unpacked, uh, James 1 to, to talk for us. Um, and essentially, the thing that came out of it was we need to check our hearts. All right. And one of the things that came that will answer the who in this instance that James is talking about is that he was, he was writing this to people that aspire to the office of teacher. All right. So the whole idea of the office of teacher is that in that context, in that historical context, uh, the office of teacher was, it was to bless the church, but it was, it was, a, it was a highly regarded position. It had a lot of esteem. You would get noticed in that office, right? You would get to stand and people would give you their attention, much like right now, right? So... We are tempted then to say, you know what? Um, James is talking to the teachers. I am not a teacher. I do not aspire or desire to be a teacher. So I am going to switch off. And so I'm saying, let's, let's bring it back, right? As we bring it into our context, we need to broaden the horizon, right? This, this does not only apply to teachers. This applies to all of us. This to any, in any context where we aspire a, a high position. We aspire something that could give us recognition. 
uh, accolades where people will be able to say, man, this, this guy is great, where we get to be puffed up. And so um, this doesn't even just work outside the church. We can bring it inside the church as well. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's cast the spotlight everywhere. Because the very same people that go to work or go to studies are the same people that come to church and that behavior, uh, it manifests itself on Sundays as well. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we adorning sin with holy garments so that it passes off as righteousness? And so our, our text will address that this morning. So we've established who the who is in this text, who uh, in that context, teachers, and right now the who, it's, it's all of us, right? So now James speaks about who is wise and understanding among you. Here is bringing forth the idea of, of wisdom, right? And so when we look at wisdom in our, in our context, this day and age, um, wisdom has got more to do with what you know, how much you can roll out uh, either on a post on Facebook, on a tweet, um, or on a comment section somewhere. And so the, the problem now is that we live because of just technology, smartphones, the internet. We've got such a huge, a huge proliferation of information. Everything is almost available. Everyone is an expert on something, right? And so this is such a huge, it's a huge problem because it's very damaging. None more so than in our church. But as we walk into the walls of the church, right, there's, there's so many resources about Christian doctrine. There's so many resources about who God is. And so we, we, we get stuck in a place where, you know, I, I, can, I can almost explain very high concept about uh, who God is. I can tell you about the Reformation movement and its effect on modern day Christianity. I can tell you, I can break down the hypostatic union, yet I'm unable to love my neighbor. Right? And so, when James says, who is wise and understanding here, it has less to do with what we know, but rather who we know and what we do. Right? And so, we'll explore that further in verse 17. And so, as we shift forward, um, James gives us the answer, right? Who is wise and understanding among you? Um, it's a trick question. Don't raise your hand. It ends very badly, right? So who is wise and understanding among you? Great response. Um, and James gives us the answer. He says, um, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So the whole idea of good conduct here is it's a good manner of life, good behavior, Right, And I love the fact that James slides in in the meekness of wisdom at the end because if, if he had just stopped it by his good conduct, let him show his works. We all have good works. We all have good works that elevate us. Right? We can all easily just go out there and do stuff that when people walk past, they'll be like, man, that, that's a great guy. He just gave up so much. right? And it's all about me and not so much about God right? Uh, we, we would be living the typical Mandela Day every day, right? Because we, we all know Mandela Day, right? One day in a year where corporates get to go out, um, give back to the community, 
take pictures, put it over social media, and then cheers, we're good. Right? And so James then says that these works should be in the meekness of wisdom. Right? The concept of meekness may escape us as a, as a culture. Um, I will read, this is, this is lovely. Uh, it's not my thoughts, wiser men, but it says meekness is humility towards God and towards others. It is having the right or the power to do something, but refraining for the benefit of someone else. I'll read it again. Meekness is humility towards God and towards others. It is having the right or the power to do something, but refraining for the benefit of someone else. Right? So what we can say about meekness in the current context is, when was the last time you, you watched a movie where the, the hero was a, was a meek guy? Right? When, when did you last watch a courtroom drama where the guy was a meek guy? You know? Meek, meekness is not a virtue that culture esteems. Right? And so what we see here is something that we see a lot in the scriptures. It's something that we see a lot in James. It's something that we see in his big brother as well, Jesus Christ. And this is the inverted nature of the kingdom, right? And so, uh, when we go into, when we speak about meekness, we, we know, uh, Matthew 5 verse 5, what the Beatitudes. Um, Jesus Christ says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, or can be translated as land. Uh, this was echoing, uh, Psalm 37, 37, uh, 10 to 11. Uh, it's going to go up. I'm going to read it now. It says, In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in, an, in abundant peace. And so, so here, it's when Jesus speaks about echoing what Psalms, uh, Psalm 37 says about the meek shall inherit the land or the earth. Um, we need to understand in its context that the people that he was sharing this to, they would have understood. The whole idea of land back then was that land was a, was a symbol of great wealth, right? Especially with the promise of going into the promised land of, of Canaan, right? So it wasn't quite literally that the meek would inherit a specific part of land, but it was that there's a special blessing for those who are meek. And so... We show, we're shown here in the scriptures that um, meekness is, is a virtue to be highly esteemed. And so this, this, this idea of um, good manner of life, uh, meekness, uh, it, it's the theme that continuously goes through James. And as we read through uh, James 2.18, uh, it says that, but someone will say, you have faith and have works. Show me your faith. Apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by works. And so James is painting this picture that um, when we have wisdom, our works will show that, right? And so as we shift on, uh, verse 14, James says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast in before and be false to the truth. And so... What we first need to understand as well is that when, when James says, use the term if, this can be translated as well as since. So we need to know that James is not talking about something that was hypothetical, 
right? This is something that um, was actually happening, right? Christians, uh, people in high places were actually exhibiting this kind of behavior. And so when we dive into the whole idea of ambition and jealousy, we need to understand that ambition and jealousy are not bad things. They are not bad things in and by themselves. Right? So God, our God is called a jealous God. Right? And by that jealousy, he ransoms many. Right? Ambition, ambition used to right can elevate other people. But what James says here is that um, bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, as soon, as soon as you put those two, it changes completely. All right. So quick one. Um, humans, uh, we, we share 99% of our DNA with uh, chimps and bonobos and about 98% of our DNA with gorillas. All right. So that, that almost feels very important. Like it, it feels impossible. Right? So literally, that, that one percent, that one point something percent is the difference between us and chimps, gorillas, and bonobos. That's a huge difference. That huge difference is the ability to create. That difference is the ability to, to be in a community like this. Right? That ability, that, that difference is made in the image of God. So in as much as that 1% seems insignificant, when you take it in context, it's such a huge difference. And so it is with jealousy and ambition. That once we put a foot wrong, a step wrong, once it becomes about us, selfish, self-interest, self-centered, once there's a root of bitterness, it changes everything. It changes the dynamics. And so, at the end of the day, um, James is telling us that um, there's a way we, in which we do life that when it's all about us, if we want all the accolades, if we want to be recognized, then it's not of God. So, when you dive deeper into this, these these two traits actually they play off one another. So I want to get up there so that I can be noticed, or I don't have it, therefore it demeans my value. Right? And the cycle continues. And so when you look at bitter jealousy, um we look at everyday life, um, you know, I, I look at Lebu Khang and I think to myself, you know what, uh Khang just drove in, in a in a Merc. Uh, Lebo Khan is an intern, um, probably doesn't afford, there is no Lebo Khan here, right? <laughs> this, this is all hypothetical, right? So, so Lebo Khan probably, probably stays in Midrand, uh, probably has an empty flat, uh, garden chairs and stuff. And, and so, and so there's this sense of, of jealousy, right? There's this sense of, uh, I don't have it, so I'm going to break this person down. Right, I'm going to critique them uh, and look at their faults so that I can almost, um, yeah, make sure that uh, I feel better about this. And then another one, um, Habakkuk is receiving all the awards at work, 
There is no Habakkuk here, right? Okay, great stuff. Is receiving all the awards at work. Do they not know that uh, I worked on some of those projects? Why, why am I not getting recognized? And wh- what I'm not saying is that recognition is bad, but the scriptures would tell us that when we work something, we work it for God's glory, for God's honor. Not so much that men may elevate us. Men may say that, you know, you see that person, let's elevate them. Let's give them praise, right? And so the last one, um, and this comes into our church context. You know, John John just joined the church, right? Um, why is he leading band now or a department? You know, I've, I've been here longer. You know, I've been packing chairs for like the last three years. You know, no one has approached me and said, hey, would you like to go to the front? Would you like to do this? So this plays itself out in that even in the moments where um, we're in a church context, we still crave that recognition, right? And so as we go into um, selfish ambition, um, I could almost say that selfish ambition is our response to, to jealousy, right? So I'm not happy that someone else has it. I'm not happy that I'm not receiving recognition. Therefore, I'm going to move myself. I'm going to work to elevate myself so that I'm noticed, right? And so, enter selfish ambition, the twin brother. And so with selfish ambition, you know, let me, let me collect all the accolades, you know? Let me, let me rise to the top so that people notice me, so that people can say, man, he, he's a great guy. He's doing great work. At the end of the night, I can bank all these compliments and say, you know what? You're not such a bad guy after all. You know, everyone loves you. Everyone thinks you're a great guy. You've done well. Right? And so, at the end of the day, there's a sense of, I want to get noticed and not so much, uh, let me elevate God or let me elevate other people. Uh, And uh, I often see this work work itself out in, in group dynamics like our city groups. Uh, and I find, my, I find that I'm often guilty of that, right? This is the unit group setting. Uh, you're having a city group, you're discussing God's word, and I feel like, man, I think I can, I can share some wisdom here, share some knowledge, you know, even throw in a little bit of Greek, tell them, you know what? In the Greek, this is how it's translated, you know? And then, and then people can say, oh my gosh, you know, Kenny knows a lot, you know? Kenny's like, yeah, man, like when we ask questions, we just ask Kenny, you know? And so this plays itself in, in, in group dynamics, in city groups, where uh, even if we are really teaching the word, even if what we're saying is a solid Christian doctrine, it's factual, but it aims to puff up. What we really, really want to do is just to show people how much we know, you know? And so... <sighs> This, I can give you all of this hypothetically, but I think the the best scenario is to use Exhibit A, right? So in in moving up here, in coming to to preach and preparing the message, um, one of the hardest struggles uh, is, you know, did I put enough humor into this message so that I get enough people laughing, 
It's a secret. All those jokes, I wrote them in. All right. So, so, and, and, and that, that, it feels good. It's like people are responding, right? It, it's the, it's the, as, as I stand here and I look at everyone, it's the nods, you know, is, is, uh, is Jono's nod a proper nod, you know? Is, is, is he acknowledging me? Is he acknowledging that it's deep? You know, and you know, I hear I hear something on this side, like yeah, 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 yeah. That's it, you know. And then I see someone on the other side there. It's like, it's like us. Oh, is it? Did I just share incorrect doctrine? Was my did my joke not go through? You know, and it is hard getting up here because a lot of the time, half the time, I'm constantly having to pray that God may this not be about me, right? One of the things, one of the, one of the, some great advice I got this week, uh, as I put out my sermon for, for review was, um, in terms of my illustrations, right? I, I can use illustrations to try and just warm up the crowd, but it can go on for too long. And people might actually leave here thinking about the illustration, not so much about Christ the celebrity, right? And so these are the struggles that as I, as I get up here, you know, I'm not going to step down and then I'm going to get a lot of people patting me on the back saying, man, that was a great message. You know, uh, we need you to preach some more. And so even in getting up here, even in preparing this, this message, it was very difficult because James is coming hard on teachers. And I'm about to teach about that. All right. And so that is exhibit A. That is me. Uh, it's, it's a struggle even as I'm speaking. And so... James finishes off verse 14 with, um, do not boast and be false to the truth. And essentially, he's saying that you've been, you've been caught out. We can see through you, right? Um, you're getting up there. You, you're claiming this is all about God, but it's actually about you. It's about elevating your desires. It's about you getting noticed. And he's saying, do not, do not change the subject. Do not boast, do not boast and be false to the truth. And we often see this in, um, it's, it's usually modeled as humility, but it's false humility, right? I, I call it reverse boasting. A good example is with, um, with interviews, right? Uh, if you've gone the net, they always, they always tell you that question that comes when they say, what is your greatest strength? You can say, um, I've got laser eyes, I can fly through buildings, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's Superman. And then when they say, what is your greatest weakness, right? Uh, you're not going to mention that if kryptonite comes into the picture, uh, yeah, I'm a weakling. And so you almost mask your weaknesses as, as, as strengths. So a typical example is like, uh, what is my weakness? Man, I am too humble. Like, man, I... <laughs> Like, I'm too humble, you know. Uh, it's like, what is your weakness, man? I feel like w- when I preach sometimes, man, I, like, I have too much passion. And, you know, <laughs> the people are feeling it. And so, this is what James is talking about, that, you know, we boast to hide the truth of what is lying deep inside. Uh, if, if many of you were here last week, uh, I, I love this whole thing of checkmate, check your heart. Right. So as we go through everything that I'm saying here, everything that James is saying, check. Right. 
Then uh, we continue to verse 15. Uh, it's getting intense. And so James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And so, almost, I'm almost tempted to call this uh, an unholy descent or a slippery, or I call it a slippery slope, right? Because James uses three words. He says it's it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, right? And so one of the things that we we, we might be tempted to do is say um, it's earthly or it's unspiritual or it's demonic. James is putting all in he's putting all in the same basket. He's saying if it's earthly, it's demonic, right? And so this is this is very hard for us because at the end of the day, no one wants to think that uh, whenever they are doing something that is a counter counter God that is against God that it's demonic. No one wants to think of that. Often, when we think of demonic, we we think of the guy that's casting spells at twelve midnight to summon, yeah, hell's spawn, right? But the truth here that James put is he puts is that as long as it's not from above, it's demonic. Whether it's earthly or unspiritual, the source is the same. It's demonic, and that should scare us. That should scare us, and so. Um, this this unholy wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, it actually plays itself out in our daily lives more often than we than we think. You know, um, this is this is all of us, right? This is all of us, and this is this is verse sixteen. This is this is the result: disorder and vile practices. Right, and so we we often see this when we we just have to switch on to social media. We just have to go into the newspaper, watch the news, uh, and we can just see this at play, right? But I would argue that that's that's going too far. That is going too far. We only need reflect on our on our day, on our thoughts on our actions, right? Uh, we, we often think, you know, vile practices, disorder, um, the, these are things that unbelievers are doing. But when James says, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, it's all the same because it's not from above. We see this in our lives in the things that we think about. Right? We see this in the things that we do. See this in the things that we hope no one will ever find out. Right? As you walk through the door there, we're just like, man, I hope they don't know what I did last night. I hope they don't know what I did this morning. I hope they don't know what I'm thinking about right now as he preaches. Because they're going to get into my mind. Man, there's a, there's a revile practice. And so as, as depressing, as, as hard as that sounds, um, there is hope, right? There is hope. And we find that hope in the next uh, verse where 
verse 17 where James says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so it's, it's, almost, it's almost a double-edged sword in that when he says the, the wisdom from above is first pure, it's a double-edged sword in the fact that none of us are pure, right? None of us are pure. But there is one who makes a way, right? We need to understand the idea of pure. We need to understand in the context of the Bible. We need to understand in the context of pure in relation to who, right? If I bring my works against someone else, I might just edge them out, right? But my my works are measured against God, right? And this is where James uh, establishes that our relationship with God first has to be reconciled for us to have wisdom from above, right? And as we go as we go into this idea of who is pure and uh, what follows from there, we shall read from Psalm, Psalm 24, uh, verse 3 to 6. And it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And so the idea of the hill of the Lord isn't a physical hill, but it's more of God is understood to be uh, in the high places, right? And so it's who can, who can be in God's presence? And he says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has clean hands and a pure heart here? You ask in the verse, who doesn't have clean hands and a pure heart? <laughs> so, so yeah, um, yeah, one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And as we go back, we understand that pure in this sense is one who's upright, blameless, and perfect before God. Um, and that's that's Jesus Christ, right? Uh, scriptures, scripture would tell us uh, that God made him who knew no sin be sin for us so that in, his, in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so J- James first establishes the importance of this that it first has to be pure. So he's establishing that the vertical has to be sorted out. right? Our relation to God has to be sorted out Uh, We need to be reconciled to the Father first and foremost. This is the idea of being born again. This is the idea of going from darkness into light. Right? Um, And this reliance on and reliance on the work of Jesus Christ is perfect life, death, and resurrection. Right? And so going back to the evolution of phones and how they've changed our lives transformed communication, transform everything that we do, it would be ludicrous uh, for me to say, I'm going to contact my wife and then I step outside and I've got carrier pigeons or I'm about to use Morse code or I'm about to use that smoke thing or a telegram, right? 
Um, I don't even know how it works, but it'll be ludicrous because I have a smartphone in my pocket. Right? And so, in the same way that smartphones have transformed how we communicate, it will be evident in the way I communicate, how I'm in touch with people. Right? I can FaceTime my wife. I can text. I can almost be in the same room, but be in different countries. Right? And so, this is the same, same idea that James pushes here, is that if we are reconciled vertically to God, Right, if we've walked the, if we've crossed the line of faith, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, right, there will be a change. And what that change looks like is in what follows after. He says, then we'll be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So James establishes that the vertical affects the horizontal. Right. So the horizontal plays out in community. In actual fact, this whole thing plays out in community. It's a cosmic community between us and the God of the universe. Right. And so if I'm reconciled to the Father, but I am not peaceable with my brother and sister, if I'm not gentle, I mean, if I'm insincere, right, there's, there's doubt about my reconciliation with the Father. There is doubt about, do I really, really know the Father? Right? So I love the fact that um, as, we double, as, we, as we double tap back on what I started with, where I said that James is presenting wisdom, not so much as something that we know, but as someone that we know and what we do. As we bring it together, wisdom comes from knowing God. Right, the proverbs will the proverbs will say that um, the fear of the Lord or the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But therefore, in knowing who God is, um, our response is fear and reverence. And so, that then plays itself out in how we relate in community. I can tell you right now that uh, peace, gentleness, uh, reasonableness, uh, mercy, and good fruit. Do not play out when you are alone in your life. Right? So God calls us to community. He calls us to interact with one another. There is no lone ranger in Christianity. There is no, I'm going to do my own Christian walk. Because I can tell you this from even a perspective of being married. One of the things I had to do, um, in debate had to do, but in preparing for relationships for marriage was, I knew who I was. I was a perfectionist. I'm recovering. But I knew I had to stay with other men. I had to share space in close quarters. And God blessed me with people who were my opposites all the time. And so, in the beginning, I thought, man, I need to change this person. After a while, I was like, I think I'm the problem here. <laughs> you know? And so, that prepared me because then, in walking into marriage, I walk into marriage in a, with a sense of, you know, it's not about my preferences. It's not about uh, do, do I want the cup on the left or the right, right? There's huge sanctification. And so when we live in community, uh, there is sanctification. Uh, we get to love one another. You cannot love one another in isolation, right? 
And so, like I said, um, reconciliation of the vertical affects the horizontal, right? And so, as we continue, here, here's the thing, if, if, if you're already ahead of me, what you might think, but does that mean that if I'm not a Christian, I cannot be peace, peaceable, gentle, reasonable? You can. You can. That's, that's the truth. You can. Uh, just as much as non-Christians can have great marriages, this, this can happen. But the idea is at the root of it, uh, when you are not reconciled with the vertical, it revolves around you. It's your peace that you've established. It's your gentleness. Everything comes back to you. It comes back to you as the idol, as the one that sits on the throne. Right? And so the other side of the spectrum is, um, what if I am reconciled vertically, but these traits are not evident in me? Then I would say that um, we might have a dead Christianity. Right. Like I said before, if I'm able to unpack uh, Christian theology, if I'm, if I'm able to talk about um, a history of where Christianity came from, if I can take on any person who's unbelieving and um, put them under the table, but I'm unable to love my neighbor, then I have dead Christianity. I have a dead Christianity. And so... I love I love this in in Luke seven where Jesus in, is interacting with the the Pharisees and this lady that anoints Jesus and once again the the traits that Jesus speaks about uh, selfish ambition jealousy come through in them because they they asking but you know this this perfume could have been saved you know does, does Jesus not know where this woman comes from does he not know where her hands were Right, and so Jesus addresses them and he says, you know what, I walked in, none of you did this for me because all of you want to be noticed. But most of all, uh, she has been forgiven much, therefore she can love much. And so if our view of our vertical reconciliation is transactory, if it's just, let me take your death, let me take your resurrection and that's it, right? then we won't think that we've been forgiven much. Right? We'll play down on our salvation and we'll be unable to love our neighbors. And so the question at the end of this road isn't um, so much what have, I, what have I done with this wisdom, but how has wisdom transformed me? And so as we continue... Um, verse 18, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so I'm quickly gonna, I'm quickly gonna read a, a quote here. It says, the opposite of the disorder is not a morally neutral order, but a morally significant peace. James wants peace for the church because peace is the, is the context in which righteousness can flourish. Right, and so, as you look, read Colossians 1, verse 19 to 20, it says, 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so, James is ending by saying that um, when we sow in peace, we harvest righteousness. And I love the scripture that we just read from Colossians. So what it's saying is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he has established peace for everyone that is in him. Right? And this is very difficult because we live in what is a broken world. We live in the context of conflict. Romans make it very personal. When we, when we look at our, our family as rooted, the idea of transcultural, uh, when I look across the room, we've got, just got a mishmash of everyone, right? We've got, um, we've got Zulu, we've got Betty, we've got, we've got everyone. We've got everyone from different countries. We've got Mexican, we've got Tanzanian, we've got everyone. We've got different backgrounds, we've got different languages. And on top of that, you add people coming from different church backgrounds, people that walk in and they say, uh, are you guys reformed? You know, uh, are you guys charismatic? Are you guys this? And we just fill in at the bottom all of the above, right? Perhaps not all the time. But we, we've got a mishmash of everyone. We've got people that voted ANC, DA, EFF, and what's the other one? The others. Right, so we've got we've got everyone. We've got uh, people that that believe in expropriation of land with compensation and without compensation. We've got black, white, coloured. We've got everyone here. We've got we've got people that work in Johannesburg, in Pretoria, outside the province. Right, we've got everyone. The point that I'm trying to raise is that when you put all these people inside a room, right, we've got our own ideologies of how worship should be done, how the sermon should be done, how the greeting at the door should be done, right? And so how James would address this is that when you put all these people in one room, they will not elevate their preferences. They will not elevate... Uh, their own ideas on these things. But because they know that Christ has died, he has established peace amongst us, we will harvest righteousness. And this, and this, is, this is not easy, especially in a, in, a, in a church that is continuously growing and people are continuously walking through the door. You know, do we accommodate them? How can we accommodate them? We cannot accommodate everyone, but let us see how we love them. And so this this almost becomes a a reflection of of who God is. When someone walks in here and says, Man, you got you got people that believe in uh all these different things, um, since we're on the subject of land. Land with expropriation without expropriation and they're singing, <laughs> they seem to love the Lord. They seem to agree on this one thing that this guy came, died, resurrected on the third day, and he and he's coming again, and they're celebrating that together. And that is amazing. So when we cannot establish peace in our context, I gotta ask the big question like, 
how is our vertical reconciliation? But have we made much of it? Or do we have dead religion? Right. And so, in closing, as I land the plane, I'll go back right to the beginning. Right. So James asks a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? I'll make it personal. I'll say, rooted. Who is wise and understanding among you? And I'll continue further. I'll say that. By your conduct, show your works in the meekness of wisdom. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's alive. Uh, Thank you that it addresses all of our issues that addresses our context. Um, Thank you, Jesus Christ, that we can lay our hearts before you, knowing full well that you, you have fought the ultimate war, that the conflict that used to exist between man and God, it's gone because of you, Lord, that we have peace. There's peace between us and you, Lord, that our greatest conflict isn't so much a conflict between myself and someone else, but it's conflict with God. And that by your work, by your sacrifice, Lord, you have changed all of that. You have reconciled us to the Holy. You brought us to our Father. So, Lord, we want to praise you. We want to thank you. We want to acknowledge you in this place. I pray, Lord, that for the people that, that know you, that this is fresh, This is fresh for them, Lord. I pray that you would just work in their hearts. I pray that they may not leave this place without addressing the knock on their heart. I pray that for all the people that, yeah, do not know you, Lord, that they may not leave through that door, Lord, without um, understanding who you are, getting deeper, Lord. So, Lord, once again, we, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it transforms. Thank you that it changes. Thank you that we are never the same and we cannot be the same after you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen.